Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we continue our series over the Gospel of John. Enjoy. Uh, And it also, interestingly enough, kind of corresponds with the gospel reading this morning, at least the first part of it, where uh, Jesus is dealing with the scribes and Pharisees regarding rules about the Sabbath. And he actually puts the question to them in Luke regarding, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, here in John, we're going to get that same scenario uh, taking place. Only in John, this is the first time that that's been, uh, been mentioned. So we're going to start out in verses 1 to, uh, 1 to 6. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The Feast of the Jews, uh, we, we remember that there are different major feasts in the, uh, in the life and, and, and certainly spirituality of, uh, of Jews. And so the thought is, because this one's not named, usually if it was the Passover, that would be named as the Passover. That's like the big major feast. But another one that they, they were very zealous about, uh, about uh, celebrating was the Feast of Pentecost. And we remember that, that that feast, together with Passover, was one of those feasts that that uh, it was obligatory that every male, Jewish male within a certain radius had to be in Jerusalem. So it makes sense that, uh, that, that there were a lot of people gathered around and including Jesus himself would have been there. So we're told that uh, there was this, uh, that one of the gates around the walls of Jerusalem called the Sheep Gate and then nearby was a pool that its thought was probably was fed subterraneanly by uh, springs that, uh, that ran from outside of the city walls and then moved up uh, into, uh, into the city walls through this, uh, this pool. And so Bethesda, the meaning of it is house of mercy. And so you might be familiar with Bethesda Ministries uh, here in the U.S. Uh, Brian, I know, Thrivent for a long time has been supportive of that. Is, uh, is, it, is it still called that? Is it still called Bethesda? Yeah. It, anyway, uh, Bethesda Homes are a ministry of, uh, of the Lutheran Church for uh, people who are, uh, have disabilities of one kind or another. And it's a wonderful, wonderful ministry, uh, again, called Bethesda. So, so what we're told is, is that, uh, that w- this was an area where this was a, probably a very beautiful area. I'm not sure those of you that have traveled over there, if you've ever seen this before, I have not. Um, but apparently it was a nice big area with a covered colonnade. So if you think of these columns coming down, these arches, a very beautiful place. And that's where the, uh, the sick and the lame and the paralyzed, almost, you would almost probably get some sense that it was a bit of a homeless attraction as well, that people who had nowhere else to go and people who perhaps were in need of some sort of financial or material support would have gone there. And so Jesus, uh, he runs into a man who had been there for 38 years. Now, what's kind of interesting to me, and this, this often happens when we read a story of Jesus interacting with and having some extended time with one person who is part of a multitude of people. Did you notice that? That, we're, that the story says that in this area lay a multitude of invalids, people that were blind and, and lame and paralyzed, but there's just one person that Jesus interacts with. What could possibly be disturbing about that? What about everybody else, right? Why not not everybody else? Now, again, you can kind of go maybe one of two ways on that. 
One is, is that the fact that the Bible doesn't record every single thing Jesus ever did and everything, every single thing uh, Jesus ever said. So there is a possibility of what? That there were other healings. And we know from the, from the Gospels, from the Scriptures, that there were many times when Jesus healed people that were nameless people. And not that they didn't have names. Of course they had names. But, I mean, it's not, it's not listed specifically in terms of the name of the individual. The other possibility is that this was a person of, of faith whom Jesus saw and that person responded to him in, in terms of faith and that was the immediate connection. Bob, any thoughts on that? Uh, yes, it's next to the doctrine of election. Doctrine of election, okay. That Jesus would pick some and not others, okay. And I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Yes. And so uh, that's about where we're going to leave it for today. That's, uh, that's for sure. I mean, again, it's one of those, it is one of those things. It, it, in the Bible, sometimes I think in, I always use the word annoying because it just means that, you know, there's, it's, there's an irrit- irritation when you don't get all the answers. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that uh, gosh, I wish I, I knew the rest of the story. It's sort of, it's sort of like in faith, and that's, that's the life of faith sometimes, is that, that we're, we're sort of given a scenario, and then we're, we're, we're given the promises of God. And then he walks away, and we go, well, what do I do now? You know? And, and so that's, uh, that's a little bit of the story that we get, uh, we get here. So anyway, a man had been there for 38 years. Jesus knew that he had been there for a long time. And he says to the man, do you want to be healed? How ridiculous is that question? <laughs> or is it? Or is it? Hmm. What do you think Jesus is looking for here? Yeah. It's not because he responds with faith that he can heal him. Because I'm sure a lot of people would say, well, you can, you're just dreaming about so you're saying... Jesus is testing his faith. He's testing his faith, okay? He could also be testing where the man is in terms of his hope. Okay? Think about, think about dealing with something in your life. A situation, a person. Uh, certainly a physical condition. Think about having to deal with that for 38 years which probably for this individual was most all, almost all of his life. But we don't know that. It just We assume that. So you have something that is your reality for 38 years. That would be long enough to have decided that this is my lot in life. Right? And if I've decided that this is my lot in life, this is just the cards that were dealt me, right? I, yeah, maybe I was born with this, or maybe, uh, maybe uh, uh, it came along later in life, and, and somebody said, this is how it is for you, and the sooner that you accept it and, and, and stop fighting it, then the better off your life will be, and frankly, everybody else's, right? 38 years. So... What have you probably created, I'll get in a second, probably what you have done at, with that length of time is created a system in which you would live your life given that reality and the likelihood that that reality isn't going to change barring some miracle. And really for 38 years, there's been no miracle. So you say, well, this is how it is. So you think in terms of that part of the question of do you want to be healed? Because if he said, yes, I want to be healed, what would that say then about the system of life that he had created for himself out of, to simply survive this situation? If he's always known as the guy who's laying there for 38 years, those are his friends, Right? The guys laying next to me are my friends. These are, this, is my, this is my group. This is who I know. This is my comfort zone. This is what I do every day. This is how I do it. And now somebody comes along and puts before me the prospect that that could all change, even though most of us would say, well, that's a pretty good change. I don't know. 
is it? Yeah. I'm thinking along the same lines you're you're expanding okay. on is this was their whole social circle. I see this as a large area with a lot of people mm -hmm. who are in the same condition. Correct. Just like there's been research with, with people who live in homeless shelters. Mm -hmm. They're their own group, mm -hmm. their own social circle. They don't want to be rescued or taken away from that. Yeah, and again, we would sort of generalize that thinking that there's probably exceptions to that. But you think about the, some of the homeless phenomenon that's going on in the U.S. with respect to L.A. and Portland and Seattle and some of the areas, um, and, and in terms of how do you create a safe environment for somebody, and what if they don't want it? Do you impose it on them? Do you ask them if they would like to? And to, to some degree, even Jesus puts himself in that position with this individual because by asking the question, do you want to be healed, there's one of two answers. And one of them is the one that we would all expect, right? We would say, well, yeah, I want to be healed, of course, yeah. But, what, but it also uh, raises the possibility that, that the man would say what? No. No, all my friends are here, and I know what my day, every day is going to be like. And I don't have to think beyond that. I don't have to worry. And, you know, yes, it's a, maybe I'm living on, in, a, in a substance way, but, but nonetheless at least I know what's coming. And maybe live in the dream of freedom <laughs> and all the responsibility that goes with it very often, maybe that would be some part of that question or the answer. Yeah. I think you're touching what I was about to say. Okay. You know, kind of on the negative side, that with all this going on in his life, and he suddenly has to change, that he's got to live a more productive life. Yeah than maybe he's been doing and yeah. maybe he's not up for being expected to do more than what he's been doing and maybe he's enjoying all the attention and so forth that's given to him mm -hmm. because he's incapable yeah and again part of the struggle here for a lot of us is is that if we've never been in that guy's situation we would not know i mean we can make some assumptions about that but we would not know but if you think beyond the physical side and take it into other aspects of life that are troubling you and perhaps have troubled you for many, 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 many years, and Jesus comes to you and says, do you want to be healed? What if the healing that he offers implies that you're going to have to do some change in your own life. Do I really want to be healed? See, what if the ailment is that I have some long-held hurt in my life from something that somebody else did in the form of some betrayal or some big thing like that? And, and the pathway to healing is that I have to let go of that. Or I have to forgive it. Or that I have to somehow change my day-to-day -day thinking and my day-to-day -day functioning in order to fully incorporate the healing that God offers. What about that? There's way more to the question than just, do you want to be free of this ailment you have? Yeah, Richard. It kind of gives rise to a lot of times when I would tell people I taught in middle school, they would express their condolences. Condolences. And the thing about it is, is it was a fabulous job. Oh, they would say to you, we're so sorry. Is yeah. that what they <laughs> oh, I couldn't do that. Oh, yeah. Okay, gotcha. But, but the thing about it is, is sometimes we come to people wanting to impose our solution on them without understanding them at all. You think Jesus is doing that here? He's, he's, he's reaching to understand. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be healed? He's giving them the choice. Yeah. I mean, like you said, this, is, this could be his community. Sure. And he's comfortable. Yeah. Plus, and we'll see this in the story, he's not getting any heat from anybody. 
But once he gets healed, all of a sudden, this person who was among many probably not even noticed because that's how it works sometimes, doesn't it? When you're one of many and everybody kind of has some big need or some little need or some need, you know, after a while, it sort of looks like a they rather than a he. We often don't see the person because we see the multitude, right? And so all of a sudden now, he may end up, if he says yes, and he does, sorry to spill the beans there, now he's getting scrutinized. And now he's got eyeballs on him. And for 38 years, if you haven't been noticed and you wanted to be, and then all of a sudden you get noticed, that is not all it's cracked up to be, let me tell you, right? The fishbowl just got bigger. Let's see what happens. Verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. So a little bit about what people thought was going on in, uh, in, in this pool. So even though it was fed by subterranean springs, which suggests that there probably were mineral springs. So how many of you have been to hot springs? Okay. All right. Or e even out to mineral wells. You ever gone out to mineral wells? There's a reason why they call it mineral wells, right? Because actually there's this big hotel there that back in the day, uh, movie stars and famous people would go and stay at this hotel, and there in the basement of the hotel is a pool, and the mineral springs would come up, and people would feel, uh, would feel healed. But given the fact that th this was a time when also people were highly superstitious, there was the thought, or at least the belief, that whenever the bubbling up would occur, that what was really happening was an angel was coming down from heaven or one of the spirits was coming down and was stirring the water. And so then the effect of the stirring of the water and the, and the bubbling up of the minerals and the, and the warmth that it would create, then, then somebody would maybe go in the, in the pool and come out and go, I'm healed, you know, and maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But the point is, is that's what, that was the belief that was reinforced. So that's what's going on in this man's mind, is that you had to be vigilant about when the water would start to bubble, because you never knew when that was going to happen. So imagine for 38 years, if in fact he had been there for 30, 38 years, okay, as opposed to just having the ailment, that he spends his day watching the water and hoping that he would have an opportunity to get to the, to get to the edge of the, of the pool and into the pool before somebody else did because, again, yeah, there was probably only so many people that could fit in the pool and maybe there were some people that needed more than one treatment. Yes, yeah, Keith. Been, uh, like, I'm in the number pool and I've heard the first one in. Oh, okay, so that would be an extra incentive then, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, so the benefit could have extended to others, but, but the actual the healing itself would have come from, uh, from being the first. So again, that sort of suggests that this was a highly competitive system, right? That, you know, I got to be the first in. So not only do I have to be vigilant about when the water is, uh, is bubbled up, but it would be much better if I had somebody who can help me. And this individual is telling us a little bit about his plight, and that was that he had no one. There wasn't anybody nearby. Certainly none of the people nearby because they were all interested in the same thing. But he himself had no one in his life who would, uh, who would help him. So Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Why take up your bed? Anything important about that? The bed had been his what? All these years. His identity, his security, his address. It had been all those things for him, right? Not a thing wrong with that. That's just how it was. And Jesus says, take it all up and go somewhere else. Let's keep going. Now that day was the Sabbath. There it is. 
If only Jesus had done this on Friday, we wouldn't have it listed here in the, in the book of John, right? Okay. So that day, now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, well, the man that healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Okay, what do we know about the Sabbath? We've kind of talked about this some, so let's have a little uh, group quiz, all right? Why is it a big deal that Jesus did this on the Sabbath? First of all, what is the Sabbath? What is that? That was the holy day, and then for them, that was what day? Saturday, all right? Okay. And in fact, there are still Christian religions today or denominations that observe the Sabbath as Saturday. Do you know who I'm talking about? Seven-day Adventists. Now, they were in the news just this past week. Did you see that? Kind of interesting little religious liberty thing. In Washington State, there were two high school tennis players who are top of their game. They're ranked number one, I think a, mother, a, a brother and a sister, ranked number one. And they're involved in their state playoffs for, for their high school tennis, uh, whatever division that is. And the state of Washington, the UIL, the, their version of the UIL, that's the uh, University Interscholastic League that we have in, in Texas, is that they ruled that for reasons of religion, you cannot... Uh, miss a, uh, a, a playoff uh, match or you'll be disqualified. Well, guess when the playoff matches for the championship were going to take place? Saturday. On Saturday. And so because these kids said, we're Seventh-day Adventists and our faith is more important than, uh, than, than sports and everything else is going on in, in, in life, we can't, we can't play for religious exemption. So they filed for a, a religious exemption and the uh, UIL of Washington State said sorry. So that was kind of how it was. Well, then what happened was there are some groups in the U.S., some legal groups who will uh, sue on behalf of uh, those that are wanting to exercise the freedom of their religion, right, even with maybe constraints in the religion in the uh, public sector, and they were able to win the case. So now the Washington version of the UIL has to honor, they wrote that into their uh, bylaws, that they have to now honor a religious exemption. And in this case, it was religious exemption on Saturday. Isn't that interesting? See how timely this was that we would be talking about this today, huh? Right. Okay, so, so why did, why would the Jew, Jewish uh, leaders have gone to Jesus Oh, in this case, they go to the guy first, right? But why would they, what, what was the big thing about the Sabbath? What was, what was the thing? What? No work, okay? And so we get that from the scriptures, not only in terms of the third commandment in, uh, that God originally gave to his people uh, as they left Egypt. Remember what the, uh, what does the commandment say? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Yeah, so don't, don't just remember it, but the other part is what? Keep it holy. And what does holy mean? Set apart. So, in other words, the idea was, was that there was at least to be one day of the week that was to be different from all the other days of the week. And the difference that that would be would be in the form of not just the physical things you would do in terms of work, but also what's going on in your brain. Why do we need one day at least away from working? Any thoughts about that? Well, yeah, so we don't go crazy. That's, uh, that would be a nice outcome if possible, yes, okay. But why, what is it about human beings that it takes God himself to say, you have to have a break at least one day a week away from work? Because he knows what? Where's the hand? Oh, Tim. Well, I think it's kind of like in economics, there's the point of diminishing returns where uh, for example, if you keep adding more and more like workers to a job, eventually there may be so many that it starts to decline rather than help. 
And for us, when we work, for example, I think we all have the mindset, well, if I could just do more, if I could just do more, if I could just do more, I'll get more done. Yeah. But God is saying, no, you need to rest and refresh because there's a, it's classic of you can do more with less. And for us, we need time to rest, have rest, refresh, and reboot because uh, in Genesis, it says that God rested on the seventh day. So if he's, but by example, he's God and he rested. If it's good enough for God, it ought to be good enough for us, right? Yeah, so have you ever got caught in that trap of thinking that if you just did more, it would be better? You ever, like, get caught in that? Or have somebody else come up to you and say, you know what, you're just not doing, you're not just not carrying your weight here. And, and so then the thought is that, well, then not only do I have to do more, but I have to do more harder. And so the, the thought that comes to my mind here in terms of why the, the importance of this in terms of a day of rest is not, it, it certainly is the economy of work for the benefit of the whole, but it's also God knows us better than we do. And he knows how easy it is for us to get pretty OCD about the idea that the focus of my life is on being productive, and the way that you be productive is by what? Doing more, doing more, doing more. And we can easily burn ourselves right off the map as a result of that. Well, it wasn't only in Exodus that God gave to his people this, uh, this word about work. If you look at Jeremiah 17, 21 and 22, thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. One of the things that doesn't show up here in the readings that, uh, that I selected is also that in God's, uh, God's commands regarding work, he also commanded those who owned slaves to not make their slaves work as well. So, you know, it would be very easy for the employer to say or the business owner to say, well, yeah, I'm not working because everybody that's working for me has to work, all right? And, and God's command was that this was a benefit to all the lives of people, not just uh, simply to the person who owns the business. So the point of the third commandment was to set a day aside, not just for physical rest, but also for spiritual nourishment and for uh, connecting with people and doing all the kinds of things that we do, uh, for example, on, uh, on a Sunday morning. So you think in terms of what kinds of threats exist today. I'll kind of put this up on the board. What kind of threats exist today? For people to enjoy, we'll just put people, right? Here's people, okay? There we go. All right, the threats that exist that would sort of get in the way, perhaps, or pose a threat to the joy and rest afforded by the Sabbath day. Pardon? <laughs> You, you know, you and I are on the same wavelength because I wrote that down in my little cheat notes, right? Okay, so let's put that up here. All right, cell phones. Now, what do you, why do you mean, what do you mean by that? I know what I mean by that, but I'd like to know what you mean by that. There is 24 hours a day access to interrupt whatever I'm doing. Yes. To a multitude of people. Yes. Work, family, friends, not friends. <laughs> spam. Yeah, spam. I have this uh, feature on my phone now that tells me when a telemarketer is calling. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's very cool, but the problem is, is that it still rings, and it says, telemarketer calling, telemarketer calling. And so I'm thinking, I've got to figure out some other way to get it to not tell me that. I just want it to take care of it, Right. So there would be that, there's that aspect of it, all right? So do you know what this is, FOMO? Fear missing out. Fear missing out, yeah. That's what's happened now 
for a lot of people, and we all are subject to it. So don't think this is just some millennial age deal here or some teenager thing. This is something now that has been programmed into our brains as a result of our addiction to cell phones. And how do you know that? Have you ever noticed that your cell phone will just randomly buzz or ding or a little light comes on, and when you check it, nothing's there? That's programmed into the phone. And it's designed to get you to do what? To look at it. So I'm not crazy. No, we're not crazy a bit. This is where, what it is, is we become zombie brains and we just do whatever the cell phone tells us to do. Okay, now, can cell phones be wonderful things? Yes. Yes. In what way can it be a blessing? Yes, because we were all sold on the idea that, well, if my kids want to get a hold of me, they'll be able to do it now. And I'm going to be able to get a hold of them and check on them and make sure they're safe and make sure that they'll be home on time. Yes, that was the, what we all were told, and we believed it, didn't we? Yes, we did. Okay, all right. But cell phones are good because you can stay in contact, and that's a good thing, right? It can get over the top, of course. Okay, so what would be one way to remedy the dilemma we all of us have with the fear of missing out, how that kicks in on Sunday morning when we're in church? What do you do with your, what do you do with your phone? All right, now if you put it in airplane mode, since I don't do that, what, 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 what does that mean? What happens with airplane mode? You don't get a ding, you don't hit anything, right? But where do you keep it? Keep it in your purse, ladies. Keep it in your purse. Okay. Gentle, do what? It's replaced watches. What? Say what again? Oh, it's on your watch. How many of you have your cell phone on your watch? Okay. She uses it at her. Oh, you use it on Sunday morning to see how long the sermon's going? Is that what that is? Yeah, checking the time, yes. By the way, how many of you think that on Sunday morning, when you're sitting in the pew and we're up front, that we don't see what you're doing. <laughs> there's a lot of guilty laughing going on here. You know, there, there's a difference in the posture. When someone is meditating on God's Word, and when somebody's doing this with the something in their hand, all right, and the detection ability now of most pastors, at least for us up front, is that we can tell the difference, okay? Here's the deal you need to remember. Everybody else is distracted too. So even if you are thinking to yourself, no, you know, this is just me and God and however I do it, okay, that's fine. But everybody else is affected. And it's not just everybody else, but kids are watching. And kids are thinking, if it's good enough for the adults, good enough for me. And so just keep that in mind. Okay, I'm not trying to hammer anybody. Just say, well, I kind of am hammering you. But bear that in mind. Because it is a distraction. And, it, you know, maybe you're looking at the Bible passage for the day. Okay, that's okay. We have the Bible passages up on the screen. So, you know, it's not like that would be the only way to get that Bible passage. But just to bear that in mind, okay? Uh, somebody had a hand up. Oh, yeah. Remind everybody that my Bible's on my cell phone. Yes, your Bible's on the cell phone. So, what do we do with that one? So, I'm, I'm reading scripture. So, as long as you don't hear me snoring. <laughs> Well, that's, I'm so happy to hear that. But again, it would be, how, how, let's talk about that for a second. Because the Bible is on your cell phone and you're looking at the Bible verses. The problem is, is that it can send the message of that you're not. So how do you, how would you let people know that you are? Or should you, and we should just all get over it. Yeah, this is kind of hard. I, I'm asking this genuinely because I don't really know. But, you know, it's a little bit of split screen. So I, on the Bible, on the left-hand side, and football scores on the right-hand side. And so then you can do that too. So, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, we're throwing this out here. Yeah, Christina. We actually, um, our, my brother's from Alms Church said, the pastor says, pull out your Bibles yeah. on your cell phone or your iPad. Yeah. And so 
there is a plethora of people. Yeah. I will say, you know, the problem becomes, yeah, the pop-up of yeah. whatever my problem is. So had. instead of fighting it, we should just roll with it. Well, that's kind of, I think, what they've embraced. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to do that yet. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Because, again, I'm mindful of how easy it is to get sucked into that. And, and I still get wounded. Nah, that's too strong a word. But I, I get bothered by when my wife and I go to a restaurant and we look around at the tables and, and there literally are people that will sit, four people or two people or however many people, and, and nobody's talking to anybody because everybody's on their phone. And they're sitting right across from each other and it's like, okay, you know, maybe we're all texting grandma telling her how wonderful time we're having. You know, maybe that's a possibility. But it's just, it just I just know, and I've studied this a lot, I know what goes into the programming of these things? That there's a purposeful intent. I don't think it's evil. I just think it's, we're a little bit out of our league if we think that, oh, this is a harmless thing. Any good thing taken to the extreme can be harmful. See, so just kind of bring your A game to that. Maybe is my way of saying that. Yeah. Another uh, sports. Sports, oh, sports, oh, we're hitting all the purity things here, aren't we? Sports, sports on Sunday, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, fortunately this year, we don't have to worry about that too much. Okay, but let's talk about sports because what are we talking about when we say sports? We're talking youth and adult. So up on the board, I'm putting the word youth or kids, and then I can put up here. Okay, in what way has sports become a threat to uh, joy and peace on Sunday morning and honoring and respecting the Sabbath? In what way has that? Okay, so it used to be that Sunday was like the holy day in the society, we had blue laws back in the day, remember that? You couldn't buy certain things, and, and we all were lamenting that, and then that sort of changed. And over time, it used to be also that, that Sunday, and, and interestingly enough, in the South, it was Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday night, okay? And I think that was one of the great influences uh, coming mostly out of Baptist circles, okay? Not so much Lutheran, but Baptist. So, so what happened was, was that eventually there was this erosion of that to where now it's completely gone. So now, tournaments happen on, uh, on the weekends. And weekend is Saturday, Sunday for most people. And the rules sort of are in a lot of sports leagues is that if you don't, if you don't participate in terms of practice, if you don't show up, you don't get to play. And if you don't get to play, then your kid who's the next Cal Ripton is not going to get a chance to have that college scholarship and then therefore be able to uh, go to school and get an education and perhaps go into pro sports. And almost every parent sort of thinks like that. It's easy to go there. Easy to go there. And so sometimes there is this thought that what I need to do is think about the end goal in mind and make the sacrifices that I need to make as a parent to get my child to be there as opposed to being there on Sunday morning. Do you hear me preaching against kids' sports? No, I'm not. Not. It's a good thing. There's so many good things that come out of kids' sports. I played kids' sports. A lot of people did. But when it goes over the top and gets to become an extreme, then a good thing becomes a bad thing because it's in the extreme. Okay? So, by the way, just a thought on this one, back to the cell phone thing. So what's another thing you could do on Sunday morning with your cell phone? Leave it in the car. Now, I admit, one Sunday, I carried my cell phone doing liturgy in the service. I carried it, left it on in my pocket. Yeah. Well, I wanted to see how many steps I get doing communion. That's what I wanted to see. Because I had this goal of seven to 10,000 steps. And when you're doing walking up and down the rail, you know, like, and then Sunday, and, and here, look how many steps I get here. I just kind of wanted to know, so I did. But, but let me tell you how it disturbed my worship. I was worried the whole time that what would happen. Pastor Colin would hear your phone. Well, that was part of the worry, yes. 
But I was just worried that it would go off. So already my mind was divided, was it not? Okay, and that's kind of what happens. Yeah, for me, it was not the fear of missing out. It was the fear of going off. The F-O-G-O. Yeah, that's, that's how it was for me. Okay, so it just, you know, again, okay, so I, don't, I leave my phone now in my office. That's where I leave it. And I figure, yeah, okay, three hours after church and Sunday school, then I can check whatever it is, and then I'm okay. All right? Could there be an emergency? Yes. But I have to stay focused on what I'm doing right? And that's kind of the idea of remember and keep. Remember and keep. The other part of remember and keep is also the idea of what you did on Saturday night and how long you did it. Could you spend all of your energy on Saturday during the day and the night and then be zombie brain when you show up on Sunday morning? You're here, that's good, but are you really here? Can you be here and not here? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, it's easy to go. Now, again, we all have moments when that's the case, right? But if that becomes your regular practice, then what's happening to the sanctity of that day? And it's a little bit like if you were in sports and the next day was game day, would you be preparing for game day? Yeah, you'd be getting your mental place and you'd be getting mentally in place and you'd be getting spiritually in place and you'd be totally focused on Friday because Saturday was the day of the game. It's the same idea with Sunday. Same idea. To be able to bring our A game to Sunday morning. Okay? What else is a threat? Threats. These are all external. Philip? Uh, financial obligations. Oh, like, what do you mean? Paying back debts. Paying back debts. Being a responsible, productive person, right? So financial stuff, okay? So how would that impact Sunday morning, or the Sabbath in this case? How would it impact it? Uh, could be like worry if, uh, well, it's the first of the month. Oh. So bill, so rents due. Yeah. Um, bill, some bills need to be paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some uh, credit card statements that are coming up. I need to make sure I have uh, those payments scheduled. Okay. So how would that impose itself on Sunday morning then? Would I have to go work extra in order to, and then miss work? Is that what you're talking about? Well, uh, it, yeah, potentially, but it's also, take, it's, it's also taxing my mind. Taking oh, my yeah, okay. So that's almost kind of an internal thing, isn't it? We would put that on the inside of the circle, that worries of life and burdens and things like that. Although we would say, well, you know, but if I am worried, what, what, where would be the best place to be? Would be, right, in church, right? And, and, and in a community of, of people that are praying and, and worshiping and doing all those things, that, that that feeding goes on. So, you know, but still, you're right. It, the, the, the concerns of life, right? And these are real. These are not made up and weird or anything. That's good stuff. But it can take us away. Yeah, good point. Tom? Oh, it sure can. Yeah, it sure can. So that's kind of when we get into talking about the Sabbath in terms of our stewardship and, and the idea of first first versus leftovers and things like that. So it certainly can affect that as well. Absolutely. Okay. Any others? Yeah, Marlene. Yes. Some retail stores require people to work on Sunday. And if you apply for a job at some of these places, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, some, some stores require you to work on Sunday. You know, some churches do too. <laughs> I don't know what that would be like, but that'll be something whenever that happens. Yeah. But yeah, and, and so then you're left with, well, if I'm supposed to uh, earn, earn my living and pay, you know, and, and, and support my family and do all the things I have to do. Um, and I don't necessarily have a wide range of uh, positions I can take. And maybe this is the one I have to take at least starting out because, you know, when you first start out, you're like the low man on the totem pole and you have to pay your dues and do all that and work your way up. Well, then maybe I have to do that. So what sort of options would that person have in terms of the Sabbath to honor it and keep it if they're required to keep that job. In order to keep the job, they have to work on Sunday. Yeah. Listen to your podcast on Monday. 
Mm. Nice little unsolicited, very nice unsolicited commercial. Yeah, it's very good. Okay, that's one way to do that. At our church, we have other opportunities. We have Wednesday. I mean, we, we try to provide that. And there are lots of churches that have other times. So you wouldn't have to, though, don't tell Pastor Coleman I'm saying this, but, you know, there's other churches too, right? I'm a public servant. Yes. I've been a public servant for 18 years. So me being in churches hadn't been very often throughout the years. Right. So I'd have to maybe go Wednesday or mm-hmm. um, yeah. take advantage of Internet TV or internet sermons. Right, yeah, which we're doing that, by the way. Did you know that now? We've got our sermons are being, um, I don't think streamed is a word, but whatever the word is that everybody uses. But it goes on Facebook in that. Do you know why we don't do the whole service? Do you know why that is? Because of copyright issues. Because when you do hymns, we don't own the copyright on hymns, so you'd have to pay a royalty and those kinds of things. I know this is like the weird world world we're in too now. The other part is for those of you that, and and this is just a thought, is that if you're looking at your uh, phone, looking at the Bible on your phone on Sunday morning, why don't you try once to do it with a Bible, an actual Bible? That would be kind of an interesting little shift, would it not? Okay, not to, again, make anybody feel bad, but it's just the idea that if what I do does give off a witness, what would that look like if I had a Bible in my hands? Okay? And, and that's kind of an interesting thought. I mean, it's pretty rare, for, I know, for Lutherans to carry Bibles. I know, it's very, very rare. But, but why not give that a shot just to see? Okay? Yeah. The, the ease of a phone is like, unmatched, but that'll be something to think about anyway. Yeah, Tom. Watching the news this morning and they were talking to a school-age kid. Yeah. And he said, we're not called teenagers anymore. We're called screenagers. Oh, screenagers. Schools are doing are incorporating Mm -hmm. the cell phones and things into the lessons because instead of seeing a a school stuff with, you know, maybe a couple pictures in the book, now they can show them a whole video. Yeah. And so the approach is, if they're going to do it anyway, let's teach them to do it responsibly, responsibly and constructively right. in the environment. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's an approach. Maybe that's you know. Uh, again, I'm probably use cell phones mm-hmm. the way we prefer them to. Because if you're busy yeah. doing the right thing, mm-hmm. you don't have time to do the wrong thing. Hmm. <laughs> Some of us work extra hard, you know. To yeah. I'm going to fit it all in, let me tell you. All right, that's some good, that's some good thoughts there. I, you know, again, I'm kind of that baby boomer, old school, only see the evils of society kind of guy. And so, you know, there's, there's something to be said, something to be said for that. I personally wouldn't know how to do that, right? But it would take somebody who could, but that would be an interesting approach, I think, as well. Yeah, Sharon. And then Keith. Bring us back, back to... Um Oh, you're bringing us back. That's a good move. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I remember last year when we went to Israel and Jordan, um, how we were booked in this hotel, and several of us stood by the elevator, and we're just again. Oh, I remember you guys told this story. And because there was one elevator that you could go into, and you could push the button mm-hmm. and say which. Uh, floor you wanted to be on. Yeah. But there was another elevator uh-huh. that you did not push anything. Oh, yeah, because that would be work, yeah. And you stepped mm-hmm. in, and mm-hmm. it stopped at every floor yeah. without you saying which one. That's how yeah. I moved. They out. Yeah. It's a, it's a very detailed approach to the Sabbath. And one of the things we want to remember is that the emphasis on the Sabbath started out to be a good thing. You want to hear that? It started out to be a good thing. Because, because if, without that, the thought is, well, it's, just, it's like any other day, right? It's just another day for me to do my job. It's another day for me to earn money. It's another day for me to, to uh, you know, uh, increase my network. And what God's Word is saying is, you have, seven, you have six days to do that. So, so wean yourself of that sort of obsession that you have with being uh, 
you know, productive and being um, on the spot and, and, and being on top of things, at least for one day. It's better if it's like a day and a half. That's even better. But, 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 uh, but, but one day, reserve that. And see, part of it is, is that God knows that we have the need to be grounded by something. And if we're not grounded in our core with our spiritual walk with God, then we will find something else to ground ourselves with and it will not be good for us. It'll be temporary. It'll feel good, you know, at least for a while. But it won't ground us in a sustaining and certainly eternal way. And that ultimately is what happens in terms of our connecting to God's word here, what in whatever way that you want to do it, is that that connecting, it sort of gives you a sense of, yes, everything around us is out of your control and you can't do anything to fix it or change it. But you don't have to because God's in charge. And if we don't get a steady sort of rhythmic feeding of that, I, I use the word rhythm on purpose, there is a rhythm to your life. When Sunday comes around and you're getting ready for church and you come and you be a part of that, even if you think to yourself, I didn't get anything out of it today. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. It was beyond your consciousness. It was a, it was a deeper feeding that happened outside of your awareness. And because that's going on all the time anyway, why not make that in terms of that spiritual walk with God as a big chunk of that? So that rhythm, that rhythm. And you know how it is when you get out of rhythm, right? It just throws everything off. It's like, you know, if you miss on Sunday, it's like, it's oh, okay, not a big deal. You're not going to hell. It's not that. It's just, oh, the, the, the week didn't seem right, Right? It just didn't start out the way it ought to, and it just kind of continued from there, right? And when you get back into that rhythm, there's just something amazing and incredible about that. Okay? One more question about this. Sharon, thank you so much for drawing us back into the lesson for today. That was so nice. Yeah, that was so nice. Okay. So we have a few minutes uh, left yet, and then I've got to go back to work. All right? So, uh, so where's Jesus? I mean, here the guy gets healed, right? Jesus heals him. And apparently there were other people that noticed this because a crowd was starting to form and the scribes and Pharisees are now going after the guy that got healed. What are they missing? The joy of the healing. How did that happen? They became so obsessed and focused on doing it the right way that they forgot what the right way is. And the right way was now doing this the right way instead of the bigger picture. Oh my gosh, this guy had been an invalid for 38 years and now he's not that anymore. And he's walking around and he's joy. He's probably had a big smile on his face. He couldn't believe it. And they're hammering him because who told you you could carry your burden, your, your, your bed on the Sabbath. How dare you do that? Yeah, Keith. What? Yeah, he's carrying his bed. Uh, yeah, now, I know we're probably talking about a bedroll. We're probably talking about that. It's not like a, you know, a bed or something like that, a pallet, you know, which would be even more amazing because partly because he's been laying around, his muscles have probably atrophied. Right? And wasn't just his legs affected, would have been his arms because he'd been laying around. And, and now he's suddenly got muscles. I mean, he's like, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. So did Jesus tell him to take that bed knowing that was going to happen? Say what now? Did Jesus tell him earlier to take up your bed knowing that would happen? Knowing what would happen? All the Pharisees would be jumping all over him. Well, of course he did. Jesus knows everything. Yeah. Jesus knows everything. Jesus knows what he's doing. Right? Even if we don't. Jesus does. Yeah, he knew. Yeah, Philip. So then, did did the the man that was healed? Yeah. Or or by by extent, did Jesus break break the law? Okay, say that again because my brain went somewhere else. So well, okay. So my my question, I guess, coming up here, did did the man that was healed in that when he took up his that that burden of the bed? Yeah. And whatnot. Yeah. Did he break the law? And then by extent, did Jesus break? Yeah, he did because Jesus told him to, right? And Jesus should know better. 
Well, shouldn't he? He's a rabbi. He's a he's a teacher. He's a Jewish guy. He's he's in he's he's been educated in the in the Talmud and all the different laws. You know, the Jewish the Jewish guys they, again they had really good intent. But the problem is is that when you have human beings have a good intent, they just can't leave well enough alone. We just can't. So you take Ten Commandments and you turn it into 39 sections of what constitutes work and what does not constitute work. And then you write it down and you put it in the books. And then that means now we have to have people study the books and memorize the books so they can go around telling everybody when they break the law. Humans cannot leave well enough alone. God said, you know, 10 was enough. That's why I gave you 10. But oh no, we have to make it better. So they improved it. Okay? So yeah, Jesus knew. And he knew he was doing it on the Sabbath. And so they go after Jesus, but he's not there. See, where, what is the thing with this? Just when you need Jesus, he doesn't show up. Or does he? Yeah. He didn't want the focus to be on him and what he did. So the detail, you picked up on that. The detail was a crowd was forming. So you heal somebody that's been a certain way for 38 years. Now he's walking around, dancing around, and everybody says, that's the guy, that's the guy. And people get excited about that, and a crowd is forming, and what do you think maybe people are thinking? This is a pretty special guy. I want some of that. And Jesus was willing to subject himself to that, but not this early in his life, not this early in his ministry. And so when a crowd starts to form, he disappears. Now, he withdrew, and we don't know where he went until we look at verse 14. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. We'll have some fun with that one. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath day. How did Jesus find him in the temple? Because that's where he went. <laughs> yeah, right? That's where he went. He withdrew. Where? To the temple. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Why did he go to the temple? Because it was the Sabbath. So what's interesting about Jesus is that at the, in the same moment that he's sort of breaking the rabbinic law, he's still in, in compliance with the godly law. And sometimes I think that distinction was lost on the people that were always watching him and missing the bigger point. Well, guess what? Time is up. We won't be able to get into the next part. So next time, all right, next time, we're going to look at this response that Jesus says to the guy in verse 14, see you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. That's a very, you know, I've read this gospel like 50 times and each time I read it, there's something new. And this, this one was new. I thought, whoa, I never saw that before. So we'll, we'll kind of have some fun uh, kind of wrestling with that a little bit too, okay? All right, uh, reminder that um, in two weeks, we're starting the red letter challenge thing, so we take a little break from, uh, from John, a little five-week break, and then, uh, and then we'll get back into John, okay? So I want to be a part of the bigger thing that's going on here at the church. All right, let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for the way that your word speaks to us in a challenging way. It just doesn't seem to leave us alone in our little comfort zones that we create for ourselves, but it challenges us to think in a deeper way about the difference that you make. And so you ask us, do you want to be healed? And that's something that each and every one of us needs to really, uh, really think about. We thank you for healing us, and the biggest problem that we had was sin. You healed us by going to the cross for us. You healed us by being raised again on the third day. And you healed us by offering us forgiveness and eternal life. That is the great healing of all. Lord, help us never take that for granted. And help us also to share that with those around us in whatever way we can. Uh, we seek to be a blessing as we have been blessed. So watch over us this week, dear Lord, until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.